This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon on another crisp, cold winter's day here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, a municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador is calling on the provincial government to address three key issues, municipal fiscal stability, sustainable infrastructure, and regionalization in light of rising inflation and a continual downloading of services onto municipalities. Well, our guest today on On Target is municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador president and Grand Falls Windsor Town Councillor Amy Cody. Hello. Hello, Linda. Happy to be here. Well, I'm so glad you could join us, and I know you're busy all the time, so I really appreciate your time. Well, the provincial budget, as you know, is coming up, and M&L has issued a release this week calling for municipal stability and equal partnership. What does that mean? To recognize municipalities as equal partners and also treat us as an equal partner. We know um, our municipalities are an essential partner to the provincial government and we need more support to do the very important work that we do each and every day. We're the order of government that's closest to the people. We're responsible for over 60% of public infrastructure. We deliver essential programs and services to our communities and we just can't keep doing more with less. So, you know, the our, our budget asks fall into the four categories, municipal fiscal stability, sustainable municipal infrastructure, regionalization, and updated municipal legislation. So, you know, we just want to continue to work with the provincial government, um, be a strong representative of our, of our municipal communities, and just really do the best work that we can do. Um, we want to, you know, we want to be successful. We want to be sustainable. Um, we need things <laughs> to be able to do that, um, and fiscal stability is a huge one in those. So, you know, that's, that's just some of the things that we're asking for, as we've indicated in our release but something that we're happy to certainly talk more about with you today. So primarily, I guess, you're looking for an increase in the municipal operating grants. How are they currently used? The municipal operating grants, um, I mean, we use those to keep municipalities in a stable fiscal position. So they're used for the overall operations within uh, municipalities. They can be used, you know, basically anything that you do from payroll to uh, operations of your municipality, um, those municipal grants, operating grants, help you to be able to do that. They help you to operate. And all of the municipalities, with exception to the seven largest, um, who no longer have access to municipal operating grants, they did at one time, but no longer can avail of that, Um, we do receive uh, municipal operating grants, and they're broken down based on uh, per capita and taking geography into account as well. So basically, um, you know, they just help us do the day-to-day things that we need to do, and uh, we use them very wisely. Um, But the issue with the municipal operating grants is that they haven't seen an increase in nearly eight years. 
So while we did get a commitment from the provincial government in last year's budget that the MOGs would remain at $22 million for the next three years, we're very thankful for that because we were afraid that it would be, you know, there was a possibility that they could be lessened, and we knew we just could not do that. The problem is, with the cost of inflation and everything that has been happening in the world, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador, and how it has an effect on everything that we do and everything that we purchase and how we operate, we need $28 million to even be equivalent to that $22 million in today's dollars. So we're asking for a $6 million increase in the municipal operating grants to help sustain the level of services that we now provide. An increase just to stay at the same level. Basically, yes, yep. The $22 million, um, basically now, you know, the 28 is what's needed to maintain $22 million worth of service. So, um, you know, that's a lot of money, but um, the way we look at it, when you look at the overall budget of the um, Municipal and Provincial Affairs Department, um, it's 1% of the municipal um of of the province's budget. So, you know, that's when you look at those numbers, 1% municipalities, you know, are, have 1% of the provincial budget. That sounds like nothing. Um, and we do so much work, like I said, 60%, we're responsible for 60% of public infrastructure. And to be 1% in the provincial budget, um, that's why we're talking about equal partnership. We know the value that we bring to the table. We appreciate that they give us a voice and allow us to sit at that table. But now we just want to make sure that we're being heard and being treated like we are the partner that we are, and just really to continue to bring what we can to the table to make sure that we strengthen that relationship um, and that we continue to strengthen our municipalities. We need that commitment from government, and that's what we're going to continue to ask for. So the seven largest municipalities don't avail of this. I'm assuming Grand Falls, Windsor is one of them? That's correct. So uh, what do you do in a municipality like Gander or Grand Falls, Windsor or Corner Brook, for instance, that doesn't avail of this municipal operating grant? Well, we we are eligible for other types of grants and and funding programs and things like that. So, you know, that's what we uh, that's what we look at. That's what we rely on. Um, it, we there's different arrangements with different municipalities based on size. Um, you know, where we can uh, the difference in having. Um, engineering departments within your municipality that saves a lot of money on engineering services that a lot of the smaller communities have to spend to get their engineering work done get their plans created um you know to oversee the projects and things that they're doing so you know we're we're in a better position that way having that uh, ability to be able to do some of that work in-house um, and we have an, an ability obviously uh, you know to as hubs 
and cities, um, we have the ability to generate a lot more commercial uh, taxation, commercial revenue. So, you know, we're treated a little bit differently that way. Um, but, yeah, it you know, it, we used to be able to. Um, so many years ago, everybody, the, the municipal operating grants at one point were, I think, about $50 million. And in 2015, um, when they did the, um, you know, they did a readjustment um, and a reevaluation of municipal operating grants, and it was at that time that they were cut um, and and modified. So, you know, it's um, it's difficult, um, but we manage. Um, we do what we have to do. We make the cuts where we need to. Um, we've just gone through our budget processes where most, uh, you know, in in what instances they could, they've cut where they can, they've uh, raised taxes where they where they can, um, and they've realigned um, how they do business. So, you know, it's always so difficult when your residents are used to a level of service and you want to maintain that level of service, um, and your residents deserve it, and, you know, they work hard for it. But given the economic climate, um, and recognizing as well that the province also is, you know, is in the same boat as municipalities, is in the same boat as our residents. Um, everything costs more. Um, so, you know, we, we don't want to, we do what we can to recover um, and generate revenue where we can. But in a lot of cases, you know, it's very limited, especially in our rural communities where there's, you know, shrinking populations. Um, they don't have the ability. There's not a whole lot of commercial business in those areas. Um, so they're very limited as to where they can generate that revenue from. So the municipal operating grants certainly help them with that. Our guest today on On Target is President of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador, Amy Cody. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today on On Target is the president of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador, Amy Cody. And we've been talking about um, your call for an increase to municipal operating grants. This isn't your first call for an increase in municipal operating grants. Are you hopeful? Yes. We're, there's always hope. <laughs> um, we are hopeful, and we do. We recognize, you know, we know the government values the work that we do. Um, and they, I mean, if we stop doing it, then, you know, it would be a very, very difficult state for the provincial government to have to step in and be able to do the work that we do to maintain those municipalities. Um, which is why we take such great pride in the work that we do and the services that we offer because we know we do it very well. So, um, you know, they recognize the work that we do and um, and we're hopeful. They hear our message and they talk to us. And like I said before, we have a great working relationship. Um, it's just at times, you know, you, you feel like, you know, are you the odd one out in the relationship type thing? And, and we just want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're always kept top of mind when these decisions are being made. So, is it, I mean, it's no surprise this last couple of years has been tough on all of us. So, so what options are available to municipalities struggling to keep up with inflation? Because you set your budgets a year in advance and you don't know what it's going to be like when you've brought that budget down in December, what it's going to be like in September. 
Yeah, and that's why, I mean, we did our budgets and then we were hit with COVID. And that, you know, it's just been a, such a difficult few years. Um, I mean, COVID just changed how we do everything, our ability to collect revenue because people were losing their jobs. Um, you know, there people they weren't able to come into the town hall they weren't able to visit businesses they weren't able to do anything really um and the way we had to continue to maintain our services, the cost of everything went up with, you know, from the chemicals we used to treat our water to how we operate. Uh, we couldn't have two people in a vehicle, uh, you know, so you had to, your staff had to be driving around in separate vehicles if they were going to fix a water break and you needed a crew of four, for instance, you know, they needed to either, you know, have two in a vehicle and have them separated with full PPE on or they had to drive individual vehicles. Not all municipalities have that luxury of having additional vehicles. Um, the cost of PPE alone just was astronomical. Um, providing safety, um, you know, sanitation um, items to our residents when we started to open back up again. Hand sanitizing stations, uh, masks, providing all that information uh, or all that, uh, all those items that were necessary, you know, when it started to open up again to be able to continue to do business um, while still maintaining all those safety parameters um, and then you know you finally come out of COVID but you're still doing things differently because you're still adhering to a lot of safety things you're trying to make up revenue that was lost during COVID um, and then you know we're hit with the cost of inflation with the war um, in Russia and Ukraine um, everything that's happening there you know the volatility in all of the markets um, it's been a huge strain on us and when we do our budgets I mean we're you know, we go through our budgets line by line, and we run very, very slim budgets. We have to present a balanced budget. There's no room for excess revenue. We can't, we can't do a budget and show a surplus. That's not how it works for municipalities. As much as we'd love to be able to do that, and on some levels, it's almost impossible for us to do that because, you know, there's only a limited amount of revenue that you can generate from your residents. And in a lot of cases, that's the only revenue that they have is from uh, property taxes. So you can't keep going back to that well. Um, so we cut where we can. We streamline. Um, you know, we you want to do services that allow your residents to maintain healthy lifestyles. So you try to keep up on your recreation facilities and, and new offerings. Um, you try to offer things outdoors so, you know, there's not a strain on your indoor facilities. But then you have to maintain your outdoor facilities like your walking trails and, you know, your running tracks or your open spaces even. I mean, even open spaces need to be mowed. So, you know, there's... We're very lean um, and we're very efficient, but again, you know, you can't get blood from a turnip like the saying goes, right? You can you work with what you have, um, you pick up where you can, you cut where you can, but again, with the cost of inflation and how everything has just been even like doubling in cost, cost of fuel even, heating our facilities, putting you know gasoline and diesel in our in our fleet um it's just it's been astronomical and it's it's been a strain to say the least so the budget is coming up has mnl been involved in any pre-budget consultations with government 
Well, we did, um, the call went out, uh, you know, to the province, to residents, to municipalities to submit their budget uh, suggestions. Um, and I would imagine that a lot of people did take advantage of that. And a lot of municipalities did take advantage. M&L, of course, our budget uh, ask was what was presented. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what was presented in our release just a couple of days ago, our four asks. So our big thing is the MOGs, obviously. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, we're, um, you know, we continue to have talks with the uh, provincial government on a regular basis anyway with the different departments that we work with. Um, so they're constantly aware of, you know, our needs and what we're looking for. And, you know, there's never really any surprises um, with what it is that we're going to be asking for. So, you know, this is our ask, um, and we'll continue to talk to the – we have advocacy days coming up where we have meetings set up now with individual ministers and their departments to just kind of talk through some of the needs and some of the concerns of, of M&L uh, that we hear through our members, what some of our needs are, what our suggestions are, and that's that'll be happening throughout the next few weeks. So. Um, you know, like I said, it is a good working relationship. They are open um, and, and receptive to talking to us, and we certainly keep taking advantage of the opportunity to talk to them as well. A good working relationship, but you're calling for an equal partnership. What do you mean by that? Just to be recognized. Um, I mean, <clears throat> it's like... You know, we talked about it, uh, myself and my staff at M&L, Dietra and Rob and Tobias and Brad. You know, we've been talking about the different things. And, you know, they hear us um, and they listen. But a lot of times the message, it seems like it doesn't get reciprocated. And an example of that is the uh, ICIP funding, the Investing in Canada Infrastructure Program. So in our release, we spoke about the $213 million that was left um, on the table that was allocated for Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and to have $213 million left on the table when we know the amount of projects that have been submitted by our municipalities. So after we made our release, there was a statement from the government saying that that money has been allocated. And so, you know, just to give you a little bit of background on that, um, in September of 2022, I wrote to Minister Lovelace asking for information about how and where um, the outstanding funds would be allocated. Then in October of 2022, the fiscal update from the federal government indicated that those funds remained unspent still. So then we had our conference in November of 2022, and our members voted to support an infrastructure resolution which cited the unspent funds. Um, then we shared that resolution with Minister Lovelace in January. Um, then the Federation of Canadian Municipalities reached out to us in the new year because they were too concerned uh, about the unspent funds. So at that point, we wrote a joint letter to the Federal Infrastructure Minister, Dominic LeBlanc, and to Minister Lovelace to again request clarity on these funds, and that was sent in mid-February. Um, and then just yesterday, we found out that the funds have been allocated. So three attempts at communication and information, um, and to not be able to get 
access to that information and to then after we send out our release to hear you know through another release that the funds are allocated you know it just it seems like you know where were we in that thought process why weren't our requests uh, answered at that point um and then so now they're saying that the funds have been allocated well, now we're asking, you know, we'll give us some more information. What projects have been funded? Where are they being funded? How much? Um, you know, we don't know. So we do have a meeting with Minister Loveless coming up in the next couple of weeks as part of our advocacy days. Um, and obviously that'll be the main point um, on that topic of conversation to find out what happened in that process. Um, and we need to get some clarity. There needs to be um, some more transparency, transparency and more communication as we're moving through these processes. We're funding partners. These are, these are cost-sharing uh, projects. We have municipalities have to uh, put in a financial portion to these projects. So as we're planning and applying for, we need to budget for these projects. So an equal partner with money that has to go into something we would expect to have been better communicated to in this in this instance in particular so what is this funding for presumably road work and that kind of thing so what do municipalities have to have in place in order to avail of the funding and use it in the upcoming construction season well, that's the thing. I mean, the ICIP funding, it's divided into four streams, which comes from an, an agreement which was set in 2018. Um, the streams are public transit and infrastructure, green infrastructure, community, culture, and recreation infrastructure, and rural and northern infrastructure. So we need to apply um, we need to have projects ready, a plan in place uh, when we apply for these funding streams. So the transit program and the green infrastructure program, they have the highest amount of unallocated funds in Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's our understanding as of the fall. So we need clarity now on what is being spent where uh, for the remaining ICIP funds. Um, but the transit one in particular, outside of the large urban centers, um, systems aren't in place for public transportation projects. So MNL is currently leading work to prepare municipalities for transit projects. And when it comes to province-wide public transit, we're currently in a deficit position. So it's basically only like the city of St. John's and I think Cornerbrook has public transportation. The rest of our municipalities, you know, we don't have a bus system, um, so to speak, like a a municipal bus system. We have taxis and couriers, things like that, but not a public transit system as you would consider that. So um, <clears throat> we know that, you know, M&L is kind of working with municipalities to see what transportation needs are. We know that's a key to survival for a lot of our communities, to have public transportation, to be able to move in and out of their communities, to avail of services in nearby communities. It talks a lot, again, about regionalization, which we'll talk a little bit about after as well. Um, so we know that's an area that's lacking, so we need to do some more research on that. 
the green infrastructure fund, um, you know, that is climate change mitigation, um, better capacity to manage renewable energy and energy efficient buildings, uh, disaster mitigation, that funding can be used to upgrade wastewater treatment or collection. So we need to know where these streams are funding are, are going, where they're being allocated, so we can do some better analysis on, you know, why those funds aren't being um, aren't being allocated or even requested for that matter um, and see how we can, you know, work with our municipalities better to see what um, what's happening there as well. <clears throat> um, so the ICIP funding, like I said, that's a cost-shared basis. So, um, you know, the cost-sharing is different based on the uh, the type of program that you're applying for. So, you know, it, it ranges anywhere from 75% for projects in territories uh, uh, and for projects with indigenous partners um, to, you know, 40%, 50%, 25% then for private, uh, profit private sector projects, um, except for community and culture and recreation streams and then you know there's cost sharing on municipal projects as well for about 33 and a third percent of eligible costs that we can apply for so you know it's it's again just from talking about it you can understand how intricate it is and how difficult it can be to work through these application processes and the fact that it's competitive is difficult as well because you have to have the projects ready the planning ready you need to know what the engineering is going to be you need to know how much the project is possibly going to cost you so that you know which funding stream you're going to apply to how much you're going to be expected to uh, contribute to that project based on the cost sharing and understand, you know, when and if you get approved for this project, then you have to go into tendering and things as well. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, um, I mean, here we are in the middle of March, or sorry, just starting March, and we're just finding it now that the funds have been allocated. We still haven't heard what projects have been approved, uh, the types of projects that have been approved, and now we're moving into construction season and the tendering process and everything has to start. So, um, you know, it's a piece of work, and again, we don't know. I mean, we, we've budgeted for projects. We don't know if we're going to get approved for them. So if we don't get approved for them, well then, if it's infrastructure projects, another year wait time on those projects, how much more damage is that going to be to the system that is currently in need of repair? How do we mitigate, you know, those, any additional damages or how do we make sure that that, uh, you know, that piece of infrastructure stays functional or operational before we have to apply again with still no guarantee that that project is going to be funded? So, you know, that's another thing. We, we need to have an infrastructure plan and that's what we're asking the provincial government for is an infrastructure plan as well that takes away the competitiveness of applying for these projects we need projects to be funded based on need um, more so based on you know which which program do they think uh, you know is is the one they feel is most necessary uh, to be funded or how are they going to divvy up the money so that the most projects get funded, you know, instead of maybe one or two really large projects that are going to gobble up a lot of that funding? Um, so do we do the two larger ones or do we do, you know, 15 smaller ones that probably could wait but 
um, you know, that's a better cost sharing of the money. But those two larger projects just end up the infrastructure gets worse or the, you know, the, the um, disaster mitigation that you're trying to do, you know, if you're working on your breakwaters or, or wharf repairs or whatever it is that you're trying to do, you know, replacements, uh, corrections to your water treatment plants, um, you know, how much worse do they get, you know, not receiving that funding. So we need a plan based on need, um, and that's another ask, you know, that we want to continue to sit down with the municipal or with the provincial government and really nail down a plan there as well. Our guest today on On Target is president of MNL, Amy Cody. We'll be back right after this. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is Amy Cody, president of Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador. So you've been talking about uh, lack of ready information when it comes to certain programs and the like, and you mentioned regionalization. So where are we in the ongoing regionalization process? Of course, there was a lot of buzz around it when the initial report came out, but it's been remarkably quiet ever since. Yes, and we do um, we do talk to the Department of Municipal and Provincial Affairs on a regular basis. We know that they are working on the project still. We know it's still a hot topic, um, and it's still very much alive. The issue is that um, you know the the proposal, and I I have to stress that because I know several times I've said plan, and I know it's not a plan. It was a proposal that we hoped a plan would come from uh, to implement regionalization. So the proposal um, was released a year ago. And, you know, we're calling on the province now to act on that commitment to support municipalities and to upgrade communities, um, update us on, on progress made, on advancing regionalization efforts. We were an active partner in that conversation. Um, with, that led to the release of the Joint Working Group report and the recommendations on regionalization. It was February of 2022. It's, it's a full year. So, I mean, the Joint Working Group, which was MNL, um, PMA, the Professional Municipal Administrators, and the Department of Municipal and Provincial Affairs, we met with the experts, we collected data, we reviewed previous work done on regionalization because we know it's not a new topic. We've been talking about regionalization for 20 years there have been you know there's been uh, lots of research done leading up to you know what was released last year so um, you know we have a good base of, of you know what went on before how what worked what didn't work um, so based on our proposal um, you know the joint working group was what we felt could work and since the release of that document, the, the conversation has continued. There's been tons of debate. Um, we, knowing that, you know, there were going to be questions, um, we did our own consultation with our memberships once the report was released. We had a series-wide, uh, sector-wide calls with our members. We did a series of webinars. Um, with our membership, and then we also had regional calls, 
regional conversations that were led by our regional directors, and that went on from March 21st to the 27th of 2022. Um, and, you know, we collected information. We answered the questions of our membership. We spoke about what could work um, and just, you know, listened to them. Um, and then the conversation of LSDs happened, of course, and Minister Howell, she went over across the province last year um, and spoke and met with the LSDs and collected their information. Um, and she did that into the spring and summer of last year. Um, and, you know, here we are now uh, a year later, and while they're still working on it, there's been no updates. There's been no, um, you know, nothing really concrete as to, is this going to happen? What do you feel can happen? We know it's not cookie cutter. Um, we know it's going to be different for each region. Um, we want to know how, you know, have regions been defined? What cost analysis have they done? Um, and, you know, what we've gone back with as well is, you know, we don't want to know just what regionalization is going to cost. We want you to tell us what the status quo costs as well, because you can't say regionalization is going to cost this much money, and that way it sounds like it's additional money, right? So, but what does it cost to do the status quo? Because if we can make changes to the status quo by implementing regionalization, then there are savings in that that can go towards the cost of regionalization. That's the conversation that we want to have. That's the update that we're looking for. Um, and we need regionalization to happen. Our members are asking for it. We know it can work. Um, we do it now, you know, just on our own. I mean, there are agreements in place with fire services between communities. Um, there are um, treated water, uh, drinking water agreements in place with, um, you know, where uh, Grand Falls Windsor, for instance, I mean, we have the water treatment facility in our community. We share the water, provide drinking water to five other communities within the central region. So um, there's, you know, with waste uh, collection, that's happening uh, regionally. But, um, you know, that's things that we've been doing on our own. And like the minister said in a call uh, on open line, um, it was last week or the week before, Patty asked her about it. You know, she said the same thing. She said a lot of communities uh, and municipalities are doing regionalization now um, on a volunteer basis. Um, <clears throat> and she feels that, you know, we'll naturally regionalization is going to happen. And, yes, naturally it will. But... We can't wait for it to happen naturally because when it happens naturally, that's when it's going to be crisis mode, when there's no other option but to rely on a regional approach. And we don't want that to happen because when that happens, then we're back to the drawing board again. Then we have to start looking at the plan again, uh, the proposal again, developing a new plan. Um, the costs are going to change. Uh, you know, we know there's a, a good proposal on the table right now. 
that can be implemented and can work. Um, you know, it's one way that we can address many of the challenges that our members face when it comes to climate change challenges, housing challenges, infrastructure challenges. Um, you know, it supports economic development, and it also addresses health care needs as well. And you've been hearing a lot about that with the uh, health accord with communities coming out and talking about health care and how it affects their municipalities um, and the stresses and the strains that communities are facing because of challenges in the health care system we don't want our municipalities to face the same types of issues when it comes to municipal infrastructure and municipal needs so that regionalization plan that has to be released the province has to develop the regional plan, implement it, let us know what it's going to be, and help us work through it. And, um, you know, like I said, we've, you know, that, plan, that proposal has been in place for a year. Um, it's time to start implementing uh, the suggestions from that proposal. You just touched on it there, but there's been an increasing concern, I suppose, about the downloading of services. There's always been a concern about the downloading of services from various levels of government to municipalities. But now we're starting to see this added component with health care and the like, where uh, uh, volunteer firefighters, for instance, are suddenly playing the role of uh, paramedics on a more regular basis, that kind of thing. Um, is there a concern there? And is that uh, resulting in a cost to municipalities? Well, I mean, the cost to municipalities, I guess, is basically the stress and strain on our residents and wondering, you know, are health care services going to be available to me? What is going to be available to me in my area? And then municipalities, we're trying to implement programs within our communities to promote healthy lifestyles. And we know there's a cost that comes with that. We need recreational upgrades. We need, you know, to be able, we need funds to be able to provide programming to our, our residents, to be able to educate our residents on how to do things differently. Um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, the announcement came out on the building age-friendly communities. And, you know, while that's a great incentive and our municipalities are really digging in to try to take advantage of that, there was a two-week notice to apply. Like, you know, that's why municipalities, we always have to be ahead of the game and have projects ready and plans ready because these funding streams come out with such little notice that unless we have something ready, we're going to miss the deadline and we're not going to be able to avail of these types of funding projects that can bring so much value into our communities. So, you know, while we appreciate those those grants, um, the ability to be able to apply for those grants, sometimes the time frames are just, you know, are less than desirable and, and in some instances just aren't achievable because our municipalities, like I said, we're very lean and we're lean financially, but we're also lean when it comes to human resources. When you've got a part-time clerk, you know, in some of these, in a lot of municipalities, the amount of work that that individual clerk has to do just to basically maintain the operations of the community, the additional time it takes to do the work, put a proposal together, fill out a grant application so that they can avail of these, um, these additional funds, sometimes there's just no time to do that. So, you know, more notice on those grants would certainly be appreciated. Um, and again, you know, you look at the funding is competitive. 
Right. In a current uh, arrangement, grant announcements, um, we have to compete. <laughs> There's a small amount of funding, and you're rushing to get your application in because, you know, it, I mean, obviously they can't, you know, give everybody the money for every project that they want to do. But it's still done on a competitive basis. So you have to get your proposal in. You need to make sure it's a solid proposal. Um, you know, you need to make sure that you have every benefit to your municipality listed to make your project as attractive as possible. And all still knowing that it's you know, there's a chance you're probably not going to be one of the successful applicants for that. Um, you know, so again, uh, you know, we, we try to do the best that we can, and we work so hard, and you want to have all of this ready, but everything just seems so competitive. Like, we're always competing against each other, um, and we know that we're so much stronger when we work together. Uh, so a regional approach, obviously, would help all of that. Um, you know, being able to have projects ready uh, when you look at the infrastructure programs if you know if there's a plan in place that that um, funds projects based on need um, and necessity then you know that that makes it a little easier for planning you can have projects like this ready when these grants come up and when they become available on a short uh, you know short notice yeah you've already had the time to spend on that because you've already had the other things taken care of that you've been planning for so long so um, again and and just back to the health care again I mean um, Municipalities have been taking an active stance on the health care crisis um, in their communities. You know, they have, um, through consultations on social uh, social media um, and an economic well-being plan, um, they've been active partners in the health accord, participating in all of the town halls, um, participating, um, you know, as key partners in the well-being of their community and in taking care of their residents' needs. And we need commitments to stabilize things in our communities with respect to health care. Um, and we need to participate as partners in any way to ensure that proper resources are allocated to our communities. So, again, you know, it's just uh, constantly, you know, we're we're here, we want to communicate, we're participating actively in everything that has any type of effect on our uh, on our residents. Um, and again, just to be able to have our voices heard, know that we're being respected for the value that we bring to the table, the value of the work that we do in our municipalities. Um, again, it's, it's about equality, um, being treated as an equal partner, and again, just really working together as a team, because when it works in our municipalities, um, when our municipalities are happy, when our municipality, our residents are healthy, when they have services, um, when we work together as teams, everybody wins in those occasions. And, uh, you know, the more people start to recognize that, I think the better off we all will be. Our guest today on On Target is Municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador President Amy Cody. She also happens to be a councillor in the town of Grand Falls, Windsor. And uh, Amy, when we come back after the break, I want to make a special note of a long-serving municipal servant in Newfoundland and Labrador when we come back right after this.
Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. We're talking municipal governance with the president of municipalities Newfoundland and Labrador and Grand Falls Windsor Town Councillor Amy Cody. And you were talking about, you know, uh, town clerks and uh, all the work that's uh, downloaded on them. And I can't help but uh, take a moment now to uh, recognize a very special town clerk Alice Cumbie in Hearts Content. 55 years on the job. She actually has been at it longer than the town of Hearts Content has been incorporated. She started when it was an LSD. So I think that's a little something to recognize and celebrate. Well, and you know, if anybody is has a few minutes and wanted to just have a look at the amount of service that municipal councillors and um, administrators put into their communities, if you visit the uh, Municipal and Provincial Affairs website and just type in Long Service Awards, the Long Service Awards get presented at the MNL convention um, each year uh, for municipal councillors, and then PMA recognizes administrators professional administrators but you look at the length of service i mean they start at 12 years so you served once you've had three terms under your belt as a municipal counselor that's considered long service when you're giving out awards to people for over 50 years of service and look at the numbers of people who are falling into those categories 30 40 50 years of service lifetimes lifetimes of service and they do it because they love what they do they love their residents they love their municipality and they love our place they love this province and it's out of sure sure love and a commitment to want to do better and do the best that you can can do for your municipality that people are doing this and municipal councillors are volunteers for the most part. Not all uh, communities provide stipends. Um, If there is a stipend, in a lot of cases, it's minimal. And professional um, municipal administrators working in the town halls, uh, the clerks, people who are doing the operations, uh, your public works teams, your recreation teams, doing the maximum with the minimal amount of staff, the work that they do, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. If you sat down and really thought about it and sized it up and looked at it and said, you know, you would be like, how? How does this happen? How do you do that? You know, I mean, I mean uh, it just blows my mind. It really does. And I mean, uh, I mean I'm in my fourth term, so... Like, I was elected in 2009, so I have a long service award. I look at my time, and I'm like, it seems like it's just a blink of an eye, like no time has passed. Um, And then I look at other counselors who, you know, 30, 40, and 50 years, and I'm like, it's just amazing. And I'm sure they feel the same as me, like it's no time. No time has passed because they just enjoy what they do so much. 
and it's you know they they just love it and they it's just so much pride so i'm so proud of each and every one of them and i always get emotional talking about it because i know the value i know the value that they bring and i know the hours that they put in i know the work that they do and you know when you talk about equality this is why this is why we're doing it for so little money, so much time. Um, you know, you don't, you're not looking for recognition. You just want your community to be valued and to be recognized. And you put the work in and, um, you know, we want to be an equal partner. You can't do it without us. I'm sorry, you can't. You can try. You'll struggle. And, you know, it'll be a bit of a mess. But, um you know, we're we're really we're really helping you out here and so when when we ask the province to look at us as an equal partner, that's why. Amy, we're almost out of time, but I'd be remiss if I don't mention this. Of course, a native son of Grand Falls, Windsor, passed away, Gordon Pinsent, supreme Newfoundlander and a, a Canadian icon, Gordon Pinsent. And, of course, uh, he always held up Grand Falls, Windsor. He always referenced that town. He loved it so much. Will the town be doing anything to uh, mark his passing or remember the contribution that he's made? We have been flying our flag at half-mast um, since we heard the news about Gordon's passing. Um, I'm sure we will be doing, we're in talks now actually as to, you know, what we can do. Our residents, like suggestions are just flying in on how, you know, our residents would like to see us honor uh, Gordon Pinsent for just the legend that he was. Um, the Classic Theater this weekend is actually showing two of his movies, The Rowdy Man and The Grand Seduction. Um, and, you know, we've been doing interviews. Uh, the mayor has done several interviews this week on Gordon. Our Facebook page, the Town of Grand Falls Windsor Facebook page, has a, a video that was uh, recorded as a promotional video, a promotional video several years ago that features Gordon and just him talking about Grand Falls Windsor and growing up as a little boy and coming back for to visit his family and his friends and you know what um just reflecting on his life in Grand Falls Windsor and like you said how much he loved it he's just I mean you talk about the favorite son he's definitely the favorite son he just is such an icon such a legend and he was loved by everybody and um, you know our condolences certainly to his family and to his friends and and be sure you know keep keep watching because we will be doing uh, some sort of recognition to Gordon and uh, it's going to take us some time to do that because we need it to reflect you know just what a true treasure he was and we need to be able to do it right so to the residents keep your suggestions coming in because we're certainly loving them all and uh, and we'll have some updates soon for our residents I'm sure. Amy Cody it's been a pleasure as always really appreciate your time this afternoon thank you so much. Thank you Linda we really appreciate it have a great day.
And we'll be back tomorrow on On Target, but a little bit of, I don't know, sad news, I suppose, in a way. Um, Tomorrow will be the last On Target. Yes, that's right. We're making a few changes here. I'll be back, though, uh, in a new time slot, four to five weekdays, Monday through Friday, for another type of show. So stay tuned for that. We're going to give you more information about that in the coming days. Uh, Very exciting, actually. I'm going to miss this a little bit, I must say. Uh, We've had some fabulous conversations over the last little while. So stay tuned to On Target tomorrow, the last edition of On Target. And um, we'll keep you informed of what's coming up now on Monday with, uh, with this new show from four to five. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone.